This is the Visit the Zoo podcast, episode number 26. Today we hear about the Colorado River Toad, try to guess three mystery animal sounds, zoo news, and a lot more. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Visit the Zoo podcast and I am your host, author Frederick Fishman and I am the author of a lot of non-fiction and fiction books and this subject matter, the animal world, is really close to my heart and I want to thank you very much for joining me. If you want to learn a little bit more about what we do, you can go to one of our three websites at zooanimals.info, that's animals plural, zoo animals.info or my main author website at frederickfishman.com or if you want to help and support everything we do here on visit the zoo you can go to patreon at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash visit the zoo and one other thing i do want to mention is that we just did an update on the 12 book anthology of Visit the Zoo. All 12 books are in one book now, and you can get that on Amazon.com. It's in Kindle as an ebook or in print, whichever you prefer. And the best way to do that is either go to Amazon and just type in my name in the search bar, Frederick Fishman, F I C H M A N, or go to zooanimals.info and look at the link. There's a new cover on it with a picture of a meerkat that's down at the bottom right of the site. So we've got a fully packed episode today, a lot to get to, so let's get started. Now usually in this first segment, we start out by reading three news articles, but today we're going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to try a new segment that I just thought about and I thought I would add, and this is more to do with you, the listener, than it does with me, because I would like to know about some of your animal encounters and what's happened in your life. Got a friend of ours, friend of the family, who I would like to introduce. He dropped by the studio and just played for you. I got a pre-recorded segment that I'm going to drop in now, and I'm going to let you hear what he has to say about his animal encounters. Now, listen carefully to the questions, because these are the questions that I will be asking you. So let's listen to our guest, to Mike, today. We're doing a new segment here on Visit the Zoo that I'm introducing with this episode. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you, the audience, participate in this podcast and let you tell us, the rest of the audience and me, your experiences about the animal world. And to get you into this participation of this new segment, we're going to be putting out on our website a new website which will be uploaded shortly, a way that you can get in touch with me so we can do a Skype call or a telephone call too. Today, however, we have a guest who is in the Visit the Zoo studio who is going to tell us a little bit about his animal interactions. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, mystery guest. My name is Mike Monsky, and I'm out from Los Angeles. You're welcome. Thank you. And you know what this podcast is about. It's about the animal world. And what I'd like to do is just ask you a couple of questions about your interaction with animals and your encounter with animals. And the best way to start this is to see if you can go back in your memory bank and tell me what was your first memorable interaction or encounter with an animal. And we're pretty much talking about stuff that's not non-domesticated animals, right? It can be anything. It can be cat, dog, mouse. People well, had, used to have turtles, remember that? Oh, yeah. I 
miss those days. I think one of the fondest ones that I recall was being up in Big Bear, California, and they used to have a community of burrows that would constantly just go around the neighborhood. And it was very often that we'd walk out there with a bunch of carrots and we'd feed the burrows. And I remember one time I was, I guess, just walking towards the street or kind of not really paying attention to what I was doing. And my grandpa grabbed me and he said, hey, you got to be careful not to walk behind these because they will kick you like if they think that you're there. But they were always really friendly and you got to pet them and they always came around. It was like at least two times a day. They would be outside just without warning, just standing out there in the driveway. And what animal was this? A burrow. Huge. Like, it was basically a horse size. And they were just oh wild. goodness. Just wild in the streets. And where was this? Big Bear, California. Oh, okay. Yeah. What happened to them? You know, I don't know. I, I think that probably the city might have picked them up and relocated them because they probably became a hazard at some point. Because they would walk in a pack of eight or ten. There was a lot. There is a city in Arizona, in southern Arizona. I think it's Bigsby where there is a pack like that of eight to ten burrows that roam the streets, and they know when the tourists are going to be there. Yeah. Between ten and two. Right. These burrows walk into downtown. The tourists come with carrots and, they, and apples, and, and they feed them. So animals are not dumb. If they think there's going to be food at the yeah. end of the rainbow, they're going to go towards the rainbow. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, then, throughout your life, have you had any encounters with animals that were dangerous or not even life-threatening, but what you consider to be dangerous. I really don't think so as far as danger is concerned. You know, there's always been that fear of being out hiking and stuff like that, but I actually haven't come across any type of snakes in the wild personally. I've been with groups of people that have. I've seen some tarantulas here and there in the wild, but I never really felt very threatened. I do recall one time camping in, uh, in Joshua Tree, where I was sitting by the fire alone because my buddies wanted to just go off on a little hike or something. And I was constantly being pestered, like, in my hair by a bat. Like, I would sit there, 30 seconds would go by, slap on the top of my head. And then I would be like, that's really weird. And it probably happened, like, 20 times. It was it was kind of scary. I didn't know what was happening. didn't make any noise. Right. But it was coming and touching my head. And Did just, you have insects in your head or something? Not that I know of, and it was dark. The only thing illuminating that area was the fire, you know? So it was kind of strange. There's lots of caverns and rocks around right. there, so I'm sure they must have come from there. Right. Yeah. How about something meaningful or happy or earth-moving for you with, with an animal? Is there something that, that you saw once that really touched you? Well, you know, it's. I think when you mention that, it's part of the things of the, the, the different types of animals that have become friends. You know, I always really like watching that stuff online. I see that kind of stuff. Right. My first real job was a veterinary technician job. and there Oh, were, really? I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, at Brentwood Pet Clinic on Olympic in Barrington. And uh, I was like 16 or 17, you know, making like six bucks an hour. But um, there were these dogs in there that, you know, were kind of strays. And they would represent the dog's level of violence, for lack of a better term, I don't know, but by these red dot stickers. And there were these certain ones that had like four red dot stickers, you know, they were bad, don't go in the run. But all these dogs were actually really friendly. And I found it really difficult to go to work, spend time with these dogs, and, you know, see them being so excited to see me, and then leaving at the end of the day. You know, I just wanted to be able to take them home, and this one's dog's name, his name was Bruno, and he was like my best friend. I would be able to go to work and 
take him on walks and get paid. And, you know, I, I fed them. I kept them clean. I gave them baths and all that stuff. And it was really touching. You know, my mom raised me in a home full of animals. We always had a dog and three cats. I've always felt like I've had a special connection with animals, which is kind of strange. I felt like just expressing love, you know, and expressing gentleness in a way that they can receive it. Right. And I've always felt really connected to them. You know, all the cats that we had growing up and I hold them really close to me. They're like family. You know, it was just my mom and I most of the time. So these animals, they represent a family member, you right. know, and, and it's, just, it's, it's really strong feelings with a lot of that stuff. Just to, to see them recognize you, you know, as like a totally different species as a human and they see you and they are excited to come and embrace you. You know, that's an amazing thing kind of in itself because you can't communicate with words, you know, to them. I mean, maybe you can to some degree, but all really special stuff. I mean, it's Rocky and Barnaby and Murphy and Prudence. We had so many cats over the years. Oh, you remember all the names? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They were serious, you know. It was, it was a big part of our life. There was one time where we were going to get a new kitten because one had passed away and we couldn't decide on which ones we wanted, so we ended up getting both of them. And that was kind of cool. That was Rocky and Barnaby Jr. And, um, yeah, those, those, that was really great. Yeah. But even in Minnesota, you know, when I travel there, no real encounters with anything that I ever felt fear with. All right, well, now here's one question, or our last question, by the way, Mike. In the next life, if you could come back as an animal, what animal would you come back as? Probably a bird. A hawk. Something with stout. What is it about a hawk? That intrigues you. They're so smart. You know, believe it or not, they're in Los Angeles. And you can see them going from tree to tree. And they're looking for small rodents and stuff. They're just so smart. They're so gracious. The wingspan, you know, is just, it's massive. They have so five, much... Five feet. Yeah. Up to five feet. So much control. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't know it was a hawk. Uh, my buddy pointed it out. He's like, there's the hawk. And I guess they have one in the neighborhood that's like constantly circulating around mm. or whatever. Yeah. Is finding food in the neighborhood. Yeah. Mike, thank you very much. We appreciate you being with us today. Thank you. On Visit the Zoo. Thank you. And thank you very much, Mike Matsky, for stopping by and giving us those great stories about his encounters in the animal world. And we are going on now to our animal sounds. And this week, we're going to combine all these sounds into a theme. They all are kind of related with a location. Let's start with the first animal sound. Just to make sure you got it, I'm sure you did. And now here is our second mystery animal sound of today. That's an easy one, isn't it? Okay, here's our third mystery animal sound of the day. Let me play that one more time. Now they are making uh, that noise for a purpose, and I'll explain about that later on. 
And we're going to play our, our next segment here, which is going to be a full animal description. Again, this is from one of the three books that I did record for Visit the Zoo, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. And again, the links are on Zoo Animals. Info. So let's hear about our featured animal today, and this is the Colorado River Toad. Let's step inside for a quick look at the amphibian building. This is another case where one of these animals you might see in the zoo can be nominated for a yikes designation. The Colorado River Toad is nasty. First of all, they are big. They are about 7.5 inches long, and except for the cane toad, which is non-native to the United States, it is the largest toad in the United States. But that is not what makes this guy so scary. Look carefully at the bumps along the sides of their bodies. See them? Those are not just ugly warts. Those bumps contain a potent toxin or poison that can kill even a grown large dog, and they have. Raccoons and other mammals know to stay away from these creatures. They live in Arizona, New Mexico, and Mexico. They prefer semi-aquatic habitat, but can live in the desert as well. They are carnivorous, which means that they eat meat or other animals. They like to eat insects, rodents, and other small reptiles. They are nocturnal and like to move around at night. They communicate with a loud, piercing call. If you see these fellas or hear them, stay away, don't touch. That sounds like a a pleasant creature that you want to avoid. Let's go back to our animal sounds now. And uh, again, these were pretty easy. And the reason why I grouped them all together like this is because they are animals that are familiar in our human world because they have been domesticated as our friends and helpmates and also as our food for thousands of years. Here's our first animal sound. Yeah, that's a sheep. It's a ruminant animal. It's been kept as livestock, as a food source, and also for their fleece for thousands and thousands of years. There's almost one billion of them living on the planet. The females are called ewes, and the males are called rams, and of course the younger sheep are called lambs. One of the earliest animals in human history to be kept domestically were the sheep. They were kept for their fleece, their meat, and their milk. They're found throughout the world, and they are a key animal in farming. They are part of our history and our mythology. The ewes weigh about 100 to 220 pounds, and the rams weigh about 100 to 350 pounds. They have great hearing. Because of that, they're very sensitive to noise when they're handled. They also have an excellent sense of smell. Now, here is our next animal sound, and this is very, very easy. Yep, those are chickens. They're another domesticated animal, a domesticated fowl, and they are also found around the world, and maybe even in your backyard. They have been domesticated for centuries, and their earliest were found back in the mid-15th century B.C. But today, there are as many as 20 billion of them alive at any one time 
here on the planet. Well, you've seen chickens pecking around on the ground, and that's because they are omnivores, which means they'll just eat anything, any plant or animal. Not an animal larger than them, but just about. And they've also been known to eat small mice as well. The average chicken, if he can make it that long, lives 5 to 10 years, and it depends upon the breed, of course. Most don't make it that long. They are gregarious. They like to live in flocks with other chickens. Whether fried, baked, or roasted, they become a protein and a food staple. Here's our third and our final mystery sound. I think you probably didn't hear that. Let me play that one more time. Yep, that's a cricket. There are more than 900 species of crickets, and they are also found around the world except at latitudes of 55 degrees and higher. That's north and south. They're found in all types of habitats. They're found in stories as well, and poems, and folklore. And some people even keep crickets as pets. And in Southeast Asia, they are used as food. They're deep-fried and sold in markets as snacks. They're used in zoos to feed carnivorous animals. And in Brazil, there's folklore that they are considered as omens for various causes. And why do they sing or chirp? Well, it's to attract females, of course. And their sounds, their chirping sounds are their signature. Most males chirp by rubbing specially textured limbs. The sound of the night. The cricket. Those are our three animal mystery sounds of the day. And now we come to the segment where I read a poem, something that you would like to hear, possibly. Or sometimes I do quotes, too. But today we're going to do a poem. And this poem is from a poet by the name of Smokey Hoss. Isn't that a great name? His last name is spelled H-O-S-S. And the name of this poem is, appropriately, Animal Kingdom. I've got this great kid who just loves animals. Cats, rabbits, dogs, ducks. She wants to bring everything home, and it is getting rather tough. If I'd let her, and she had her way, she'd take in every wild critter and each lost stray. I'm running out of room and money, trying to house and feed ducks and bunnies. I love my child dearly and don't mean to complain, but something's got to give before the whole farm goes down the drain. I can't tell anyone who is running the place, us humans or those darn animals, for peace's sake. Plus, my daughter's getting older now and busier all the time. So it's dear old dad, who's generally left with those critters to mind. Looks like I'll just have to put my foot down and let them all know. In this little animal kingdom... It's me who's king of the whole show. Well, we have come to the end of this episode of Visit the Zoo, and I'm sorry because I really want to go on and on, so you'll just have to join me again next week. Well, we'll bring back some zoo news, hear some more animal sounds, a full description, another poem, a quote, and maybe a surprise or two. And as always, we ask you to subscribe, rate, and review, especially on iTunes, if that's where you're listening right now. We are, of course, on 10 other directories, such as Stitcher and Spreaker, 
Breaker tune-in. You can also locate us on our website at zooanimals.info, which is going, by the way, through a redesign, and that will be announced shortly. It'll be a few weeks because we're going to be working on it. And you can also find us on another website, which is my main author website at frederickfishman.com, and that's spelled F-I-C-H-M-A-N.com. And if you want to support everything that we do here at Visit the Zoo, you can go to a website called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash Visit the Zoo. That's Patreon.com slash visit the zoo i hope you've had some fun today i've loved recording this episode and i want to keep on doing more for you and i will so join us again next week for another great episode of visit the zoo take care and bye for now